Cause Life Hack Podcast, Session 7, Disability and Cosplay. This is the Cause Life Hack Podcast, where honest questions are asked and answered about cosplay, life, and the community's ever-growing lifestyles. So we're going to be growing forward one conversation at a time. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the Cause Life Hack Podcast. I'm Alexandra, the host and brainchild of this little experiment here. Now, some of you might know me as the cosplayer Cot or Catastrophic on Instagram. Uh, for those that don't, hello and welcome. I'm a Southern California cosplayer who's absolutely not from this neck of the woods and only actually just started cosplaying over a year ago. So that makes me very green around the edges still. Green and very full of questions about the cosplay community that may not always be easy to ask or comfortable to talk about in depth, especially for someone new to cosplay, but even for people that are already in the community. And that's where this podcast comes into play. In today's episode, we discuss disabilities and their effect on cosplayers that have them. It's an extremely important topic that's often either overlooked and are riddled with stereotypes and incorrect information promoted by people who have little to no experience on the matter. In our conversation today, we hope to correct and clear away some of those harmful misconceptions. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. We definitely have a full house today. So can everyone take turns introducing themselves? So please let the audience know where you're from and a few key and recognizable facts about yourself in regards to cosplay. For example, I usually mention that I'm a SoCal cosplayer that cosplays Rogue from X-Men as well as gender bends. All right. Um, hi, I'm Swankified Cosplay, a.k.a. Catherine. I'm a Denver-based cosplayer. Uh, I guess I'm most recognizable as Anna from Frozen. Um, I also uh, do a lot of Disney characters and sometimes Star Wars characters. Hi, my name is Eber, and um, I've been in the cosplay scene a long time, but mostly as a photographer. Just recently, uh, last year, I started cosplaying as Professor X from the X-Men, and I'm usually in a big X-Men group, and um, I've just done that maybe for five five cons. I'm hoping to do different types, but uh, still hoping to do more um, photography. I am Mary slash mom of Pitbull's cosplay is what most people know me by. Um, I'm most known for my Daenerys and All Might cosplayers. I originally started cosplaying in Virginia, and then I moved down to North Carolina. So kind of that DMV North Carolina area is where I hang around the most. All right, awesome. And I think I'm the, the, the main thread from everyone because I am from North Carolina and then I know Catherine from other nerdy things and of course Ever and I have met in person. I've been in that X-Men group so we're all kind of connected and I think I'm the center of that which I'm excited about because who doesn't want to be in the center? Um, anyways, <laughs> can you each tell me kind of your cosplay origin story? Um, so my origin story isn't really anything exciting. Um, I was a freshman in high school when I saw that there were these things called anime conventions. And I was like, you know, hey, let's go for a day. 
And I just kind of decided that I would dress up, even though I didn't know if that was a thing or not. (laughs) And uh, it kind of stuck with me ever since. I've been actually sewing my costumes and making them since 2005. And um, I've pretty much always loved the X-Men, but I didn't want to be obvious and choose like uh, Professor X to do. I actually had other ideas, but um, I was invited into this great group of people um, and I loved meeting other people in that group and getting other people that I met at other cons and kind of picking them out telling them, hey, we're doing this. So I got somebody to make me a Cerebro helmet and um, got myself a suit and just went with it. I was really nervous the first time, but um, I haven't gotten any, pretty much uh, any bad uh, situations from that. And uh, as far as my origin in cosplay, uh, like I said, I started out in Virginia and that was about four and a half years ago um, before my illness. I went to my very first convention, um, a small group of friends. We did an Arrowverse cosplay and I was the Ravager. Um, I was really nervous about cosplaying for the first time because I was in my early 20s. I'd never really been in a costume outside of Halloween. Um, But I found that actually like having all the makeup and the mask on kind of boosted my confidence and made me less introverted. And I ended up really loving it. I love meeting all the people. I love posing for pictures and then just seeing all the cool different merchandise from various fandoms around me because in small towns in Virginia, you never have that. And it was always weird to be a nerd. So I fell in love with it and then kept going. Excellent. So what's everyone's favorite thing about cosplaying in the community? Um, I would say mine is the escapism of it all. (laughs) Um, It's nice to just go and pretend you're somebody else for a day. But also, like, I've been able to connect with some really amazing people that have, from cosplay, become really good friends. And that's just, I love making new friends. So I'm very extroverted like that. I I really like just meeting the people in the group that I was invited into. Um, for some reason, uh, as a cosplay photographer, I thought it was kind of hard to find somebody that stayed in one place long enough to get to know them, have a decent conversation. But when you're in cosplay and you're in the group with everyone, it's just sort of like this this wave, like you're just with everyone and you get to know people and they keep you in mind for like the next uh, convention and cosplay idea. And um, I just really like also that I got to meet people that love the, the fandom that I like. And I've felt in the past that that's also hard to find. And um, I found for me that I think one of my favorite things is also just the connections that you make and the very 
genuine friendships that you find. Um, Cause when I, when I started this years ago, like I never thought that it would actually give me my tight knit circle of friends that I have now, you know, I thought it was you show up, you dress up, you have fun for a few afternoons and then you go home. Um, but it's turned into like, I have people from all over the country that will come and crash at my house for conventions. Now I have people like we build costumes together. We talk about our problems together and it's been some of the most genuine friendships that I think I've ever made in my entire life. And the bonus on top of it is that I get to dress as characters that I love and act like them for a few days every month or so. Yeah, that's definitely a consistent, the friends and the community is definitely a consistent theme that I've come across in, in, in talking to so many people for the podcast, as well as just at conventions over Instagram. And obviously all of y'all very Southern there, but all of y'all are, are within that friend group that I've, I've created from cosplay. Dovetailing off that, is there anyone in particular or a handful of folks that inspire you within the community and maybe why? Um, it's hard to pick out any specific cosplayers, I think, because I follow so many of them on Instagram. Um, yeah. I, I really just like everybody's creativity and their attention to detail, like all of the different skills and special skill sets that everybody seems to have. Um yeah, I, I wrote down Jedi Manda um, because her attention to detail and the way she tackles her really difficult projects with creativity, like the um, the Doctor Strange costume she did when she used the magnets to hold the uh, cloak to her, to her. Um, I just I still think about that all the time. <laughs> Did she use like neodymium magnets? I don't know what kind of magnets she used, but it's just it, it's the coolest thing ever. I'll ha I would have to go look and see which ones she used, but it holds the uh, the cape to her and makes for really dramatic mm -hmm. removal and everything. That's awesome because I've definitely in talking to prop folks and like seeing people out here have used magnets for like swords. So like when they put it back and like the scabbard on their back or. Mm -hmm. um, if they have hoods, like if you're a Sith or Rogue, you have a magnet in your wig. Right, and yeah. And then one on the edge of your cape. Because otherwise, sometimes it's just between the, the material, it'll just slide back, which is Right, fun. and one of my friends did that with her Katra um, uh, helmet at the convention that I went to last weekend. That's how she attached yeah. her helmet. That's smart, because Katra has big hair. Yeah. <laughs> So she attached it over the wig, and that's how it stayed on. Yeah, she had the um, the she had the magnets kind of duct taped in the helmet type thing, and she had the she hot glued the other magnets in her wig, and it just sort of snapped on and off whenever awesome. she wanted. Yeah, I'm writing like notes down for this <laughs> for me. I know that's so handy, <laughs> right? I know, I, I use a helmet, like I said, and uh, I was thinking, hmm, how can I incorporate this? <laughs> I wonder if you could um, maybe do a different, like, a, a version two or version whatever you're on on the helmet and then have, like, a front and back facing. So you have the back kind of, like, on, but then you just, it's almost like snapping a mask on. And, like, mm -hmm. the seams, instead of being glue seams, would be the magnets. I don't know how 
feasible that would be, but I know it's really hot down here and I have like a magneto helmet that makes me want to like suffocate and die. Um, and yes. especially the summer cons and I can't even imagine how frustrating it, it is on yours and sweaty. No, I, I was really surprised because, uh, I just thought it was a helmet, you know, I wore a, I wore a hat and I've never gotten that sweaty, but I wore that helmet inside at a air conditioned con and when I took it off, it, it I, I, I think I understand what some uh, female cosplayers talk about when they have to take off a wig at the end of the day and how good that feels. <laughs> wig snatching? You just yeah, need it just, off? <laughs> I, took, I took it off and I was like, oh my God, that's the best feeling. Yeah, EVA foam doesn't breathe. It's pretty much like a, I'm going to be corrected, corrected by someone, but like it's almost like a plastic composite, but it doesn't breathe at all. You just sweat in it. Yeah, so. I think I'm going on version version three for the next one. So okay, I'm curious to see how that turns out. I know we like went on a tangent, but I I love learning little things about about different cosplayers and and things that can make cosplays better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the guys that I'm um, some prop makers that I'm uh, getting to help me. One is you actually the guy that plays our Magneto, um, Jack's cosplay. Oh, Jack. Yeah, J-A-X. And um, there's another guy that um, I made friends through one of the first people that I ever made friends with uh, in cosplay, in the cosplay community. Uh, His name is Red in Designs. And uh, he he makes some great stuff. So, like, those two kind of have, like, a collaboration right now for, for me, for helping me out with couple of ideas that I have so I really appreciate them for that hopefully I'll be able to get out like something new next year awesome and that's one of the things you're like I always want to do all these cosplays but you got to remember you don't have to put out new cosplays and new content like that to be a good cosplayer to enjoy cosplaying as an as a PSA me on my soapbox there but Jax is definitely a good resource I actually which when this podcast goes live his have, will have already dropped, but I interviewed him for a, a prop um, EVA foam, like foam smithing uh, specific podcast. So definitely we talk about all those things. Um, did you want to use him as your person that inspires you within the community or folks or items? <laughs> <laughs> um, to be honest, uh, I don't really think, I have somebody that I admire specifically. The people that I do end up admiring are the people that I see that have put like so much time, so much effort, and um, they 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 rant on on what about uh, what they have left to do on their cosplay on Instagram, and somehow first day of the convention, here they are. They look amazing, and. You know, you just take pictures of them, you repose with them, and they look amazing. Secret. Nine times out of ten, that cosplayer has a list of about 20 things they think are wrong with their oh, cosplay. Oh, I, I know. I've, I've tried to set up uh, photo shoots with some cosplayers, and they do not want their cosplay uh, um, taken a photo of. And and uh, later I talk to them, and they say, and I ask why, and they say, oh, it was because... Uh, the, the edges were rigid on here, and you can see the wig wasn't totally a blah blah. And I'm like, you look amazing, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I always like 
asking people that are, are talking about it just to keep reminding people that you are your own worst enemy in regards to critiquing your cosplays and nine times out of ten you look amazing and no one else is going to notice that this one thing is frayed or that's being held on by hot glue or your wigs not a lace front or whatever whatever you want to nitpick on anyways <laughs> <laughs> mary did you have any any thoughts to add um I would say as far as like cosplayers that I'm definitely like inspired by or that I admire, um, honestly, probably the two people that I live with, um, I am dating and living with biracial angel 92. And then our roommate is Canary cry cosplay. And before we all lived together, I actually took a huge hiatus from cosplay when my leg injury happened and I got sick um, and they got me back into it. They have been, more than patient and more than helpful with anything that could come up. They constantly make accommodations for my health needs. They help me build cosplays. Um, Canary Cry specifically has taught me so much more about foam smithing than I could have ever learned. Like, I don't think I'll ever be at that level. Um, but they're definitely my people and my two favorites. So I'll plug them as my people that I admire. <laughs> totally. They're I think I've met, I know I've met Biracial Angel at, was it, it's not Supercon, GalaxyCon. They yes. changed that name. And then was the other person that I met, I can't, the name escapes, is that, is that, was that Canary? Uh, yeah, Canary cries. She is a very tall, beautiful <laughs> blonde woman. Um, she yeah. does the, the all foam demon hunter. Okay. And then, yeah, there's a Captain Marvel casual lookalike that she does as well. I think I ran into her. Yes, they were good to talk to. And I and I digress. So today, the main purpose of this podcast is to kind of bring awareness to and um, provide insight into cosplaying with disabilities. Um, I think that the best way to perhaps start is to go over a few terms that people may or may not be familiar with. Um, and I'm going to kind of like let y'all have the floor and me to really be more of a, a moderator on this Um but so some of the terms that I have listed out here is disability. And so I guess in y'all's words would be the best way to hear that. Um, I think when I think of disability, it's um, something that limits how you're able to go about life on a daily basis, whether that's mentally or, um, or physically or any of that. Um. Yeah, honestly, I'd, I'd agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then zebra disease is another one I have down. Uh, um, and that's that I learned from my cousin. So shout out to her if she ever listens to this. <laughs> Does anyone, I, does anyone want to take that? I don't. So um, I know that when I got diagnosed with CRPS, that was the first time I had heard of like a zebra disease because um, it's estimated there's only a few hundred thousand people that have this. Um, and the whole concept is that when a doctor is diagnosing something, they look for the most common thing. So like they're looking for a common uh, disease or illness, the way that people would look for like you know, a horse in their life, like, oh, well, that's, 
you know, we're in the middle of downtown Raleigh. That's a horse. That can't be a zebra. A zebra would be crazy here. And that's kind of how doctors sometimes approach diagnosing an illness where they're just looking for the normal thing that makes sense when there's this unusual thing that could be different or unexpected that they've overlooked. And so we're known as zebras because the doctor was looking for a horse when they should have been looking for a zebra. And from my understanding, this sometimes goes through years, like because not all symptoms present in all people um, and they all present differently sometimes depending on the disease. I think the most common one that would like jog most people's memories might be Lyme disease. Yes. Mm -hmm. As, as one Mm -hmm. and there's, um, and some diseases and Lyme disease is one of them. I understand that doctors are hesitant to even diagnose that. And I think they're getting better about it now, but I had some friends that had undetected Lyme disease because they didn't like the insurance companies didn't want to partake in having to pay for all the, the treatments experimental or otherwise to, to work with this disease because of uh, coverage and just political things. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I know about that. But if you hear hoofbeat, hoofbeats, think horses is the phrase that it derives from. And then there's ADA, which is America Disabilities Act. Correct me if I'm wrong. And then if you've ever heard the term ADA compliance, that's what I would like y'all to talk about. (laughs) Sorry, Uh, joke. (laughs) I think it's American with Disabilities Act. (laughs) Is it? Yeah. Okay. Um, But I think for the most part, some some conventions, um, they still lack with um, having a lot of accessible areas open. Um, There are some cons, maybe they're small, that will actually close down an accessible elevator for the day because it's a weekend. And uh, that really puts a big uh, old cabbage on your plans to try to get to the, I don't know, the game area or like another area of the convention that you're, you know, basically now have to be curious about just because the elevator was shut down on a weekend. Yeah, and I I think that also too with ADA compliance, it's not just making things easier for people that have permanent chronic health issues, but there's a lot of times where my friends who they've had a temporary injury or an illness for a weekend and they've also needed an elevator, you know, due to either crutches or if they had to be in a wheelchair. Um, And they'll say like, wow, we had no idea that these, you know, conventions like it was it's so hard to just find a usable elevator that's not overcrowded that's not like being overworked or that hasn't just been completely shut down um so it it think the lack of ada accessibility ends up backing up and impacting conventions from more than just the standpoint of disabled cosplayers i think it makes everything really a mess for the whole convention and everybody attending um because then we have to find creative ways to get to where we want to go. Yeah, I've actually had to just befriend one of the uh, the janitorial staff to let me use the freight elevator, the freight elevator before. <laughs> oh, God. 
Yeah, I think. Yeah, it definitely depends on the the convention. Oops, sorry. sorry. No, 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 you're fine. I was just saying that they covered it pretty well. (laughs) I have nothing to add to that. (laughs) Yeah, just um, in regards to the the elevators, um, and I can only imagine, I was thinking about Long Beach Comic Con this recently, and they had, it's a smaller con, but it's a big space, and they had rented out different portions of the convention center. And I can only imagine that, like, in some convention centers, there's only one set of elevators or they're, they're, they're very far apart or they won't let you use the freight elevator or a lot of cosplayers or people with their, with their kids tend to, like, use them a lot. And so it's kind of a volume bottlenecking situation. But then you get people that might not be, um, I guess, nice about it. They don't, they're not cosplayers. They're not understanding that you might be also in a big exhausting costume on top of everything because that adds at least it adds to me so i can only imagine that the costumes add its own stress to everything well and i know too with a katsu con their elevators are like so crowded um the joke is that it's elevator con and i I have easily spent 10 minutes in an overcrowded elevator and had to have like somebody block my leg from people like rushing into the already crowded elevators because the staff just isn't aware of how dangerous it could be to have the accessible elevator crowded with people that don't actually need it. They could use the stairs. Um, So I'll have people like, you know, have to block my leg and it, they're just not very good about, thinking like, oh, hey, we need to actually at least reserve this one elevator for people who may not be able to navigate stairs. I actually really wish they would put a sign on one of those elevators that just says, this only goes up or this only goes down. It doesn't go to the parking lot, so do not use this elevator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that way you don't have just people who are lost using it. <laughs> Some people just, they're trying to get to the parking lot and they think it goes all the way down or to the lower level or something. And then, then when it only goes like to the second floor, <laughs> they're just like, oh no, I have to go down again. Okay, I think the last term that I have is spoony and spoons. Um, and I've used the term spoons where I don't have the spoons for this, but a, a better explanation would be great. I just picked it up from other people. Well, I mean, and I think it's getting to be pretty well known because a lot of people have picked it up. Um, I think the term spoonies and having spoons is a lot more well known now than it was maybe back when it was coined. Um, But, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I think everybody views it differently, but you only have like a certain amount of spoons per day to use um and with people without um disabilities or things that kind of drain them you guys have um a lot of spoons to use like um a drawer full (laughs) whereas um we only have uh maybe 12 and everything you do from the moment you wake up takes a spoon or two like getting out of bed for me would take two spoons because of how dizzy I can get. Um, And if you use too many of your spoons, um, you dip into the the next day's worth of spoons and 
you're on the couch for a week before you know it. <laughs> so, if I could get it right, um, a spoon is basically just the okay. amount of energy you exert for yes. an event. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah, it's yeah, like... I understand um, that. <laughs> right? It, it's like a spoonful of energy instead of sugar. Um... <laughs> <laughs> And it can be physical energy, it can be mental, mental energy, energy, it can be emotional energy. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I, I get that a lot because, uh, especially for conventions, especially when I'm in um, cosplay, I don't eat. And um, I know I should because it doesn't really matter with what I'm wearing, it's just a suit. But I get, I get so picky about, like, well, what does it look like now that I came out of the bathroom anyway um uh just i i don't eat and then like because i'm sitting uh it it it's actually tiresome like my feet do hurt and being in the same position hurts not being able to just stretch out your legs hurts um mm -hmm. so i love being able to just get home take off my outfit so I get you. Recover those spoons. <laughs> well, and I know for me, like spoons are used mostly if I'm standing or walking because my leg is in physical pain like all the time. So people will be like, oh, well, we can just make a quick run to Walmart or we can go to the mall. And I'm like, um, you can do that. I'm going to lay in bed because I did fairly normal activities this weekend and my leg hates me now. So my spoons are gone. Right, yeah, the same it definitely here. gives new meaning. Sorry, go ahead. To like the day after the con. No, you're good. It just definitely right. gives more meaning and more depth to like the day after the con because I know myself, like my, I need to recharge my introvert batteries is how I usually say it. And then and physically too, because sometimes just depending on what I'm wearing, it's, and just my body, it, it takes its own toll. Mm -hmm. So it's just, you're dipping into the spoons for Monday for tuesday <laughs> sometimes even for wednesday mm -hmm. right and that's well, not even accounting for drama yeah <laughs> sorry oh no you're I fine i was just gonna say um that uh, like how people feel after the convention is sometimes how spoonies feel just after exerting normal amounts of energy for a few days in a row yeah that's definitely a good perspective to um to put out there so it's I've lost have, an entire yeah. day before. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So and I, I think I, oh, no, go ahead. I think people don't realize that, like, disabled cosplayers, they, you know, we get done with a convention and we're, we're physically ill sometimes for a few mm -hmm. days. Whereas they're, you know, not to put it down because tired is a valid feeling, but they're just normal tired. Whereas, yeah. like, I'm physically sick, can't move and probably haven't really seriously been able to sleep because of my symptoms. Right, exactly. Yeah, and saying all that, though, I'd still do it. It's like... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I'm so too stubborn. much fun. Oh, yeah, it's, it's worth it, but it sucks in the end. <laughs> it's like having that other cupcake, but, you know, you're going to need to put in, like, another half hour at the gym. <laughs> yep. <laughs> As long as you know what spoons you have to put down as payment and you're accepting that risk 
<laughs> kind of thing, accepting the payment. <laughs> Basically, when a convention comes up, I just throw all of my spoons at it. <laughs> I do the same thing. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to be on yes, the couch well. for a week. <laughs> but you get to be on a... I know, and that takes extra spoons. <laughs> I have to be on yeah, some, all the time. <laughs> I was going to say, some characters, I imagine, just takes extra, and Disney princesses are most definitely one of those emotional and mental extra spoons. Oh my god, characters. definitely. <laughs> but again, I wouldn't trade it for the world. It's it's worth it. You must right. have like all those kids coming up to you, too, since you're a Disney princess. Uh, yeah, yeah. Some of them like to lecture me about Hans. Really? <laughs> yeah, I, I get lectures from kids more than I'm sure Elsa does. <laughs> about what? Um, about my bad decisions about getting engaged to Hans. <laughs> <laughs> getting engaged, like fantasy engagement advice from a six-year-old never gets old, does it? Yeah, it really doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> a, so a little, delightful. A, a little off topic, but have you seen that that YouTube video with that little girl telling um? Is it Gaston? Telling Gaston what's what? Yes. <laughs> yes. I and I love Gaston. Like, and I especially love gender bending Gaston for so many reasons. Um, but that that video gives me life. <laughs> like, yes, be the next generation. Question all the things. <laughs> In my Mandalorian once, I had a little kid walk up to me, and they were just like, why do you work for the Empire? Don't you know they're evil? And I felt so guilty. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I had this irrational, like, am I really evil? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, you you said what? I just had this, like, irrational thought of, like, am I actually evil now? What happened? (laughs) (laughs) I feel guilty all of a sudden and ashamed. (laughs) <laughs> this child has made me feel, feel. I'm gonna go on a sojourn with a baby that looks a lot like Yoda, but isn't Yoda? Yes. <laughs> well, that's a whole never another topic that can involve spoilers. Um, so I'm gonna pull it back as much as I would love to go into that conversation for so much. Maybe afterwards. Um, so I generally want this to be obviously a platform for your voices, which means that you definitely have the floor you can speak on as much or of uh, or as little depth you feel comfortable with on any subject or question that being said can we kind of redo introductions or like add on to our introductions and talk about you and your disability and how it affects you kind of from day to day um yeah so i have pots it stands for postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome it's uh it's an autoimmune disease that basically makes my blood pressure drop and my heart rate skyrocket whenever it feels like it. Um, It can happen if I'm standing for too long, walking around too much, like just a trip to Target is devastating for me. Um, If I'm feeling too intense of an emotion, which is like my everyday life, (laughs) Um, or if I'm too warm, weather changes, basically just existing. Um, I, I recently read an article where somebody's doctor told her that she's basically allergic to gravity. It's like your body's always having an anxiety attack, but you aren't having one in your head. Um, day to day, 
I have to, going back to that spoon theory thing, I have to choose what I spend my energy on. I used to kind of burn the candles at both ends. Um, but since I got diagnosed in 2016, I have to hopefully just burn the candle once in the day. <laughs> um, so it just kind of... Um, I can't really drive any more long shopping trips or out of the question. It's just kind of made me rethink how I spend my time day to day. So I'm going to jump in real quick because you broke up for a bit. And oh, what I heard was something about blood pressure, but you were good from after that. So can you oh, just. Yeah. So like my uh, what it is, is my blood pressure drops and then my heart rate skyrockets to make up for it, to compensate. So, okay. yeah. Thank you. Uh-huh. Um, and ever again, and um, I'm in an electric wheelchair. I'm not paralyzed, but I have something called the Charcot-Marie Tooth. It's uh, under the category of muscular dystrophy where um, just my, my the nerve signals to my muscles are not as regular as they should be. And uh, over the years, it just has uh, atrophied my legs, my arms, and um, I feel everything uh, pretty much functioning. I'm not terminal in any kind of way, uh, but just I can't really lift everything and uh, being in a wheelchair can't really go everywhere so that's mine um so i am mary slash mom of pitbull's cosplay and i have crps um it's also known as rsd but the uh, crps stands for complex regional pain syndrome and Basically, I got mine after um, about four and a half years ago, I was in a car accident where the underneath the dash airbags, everything deployed, and I got smacked in the knee pretty hard on my left leg. And initially, um, there were some torn tendons in my knee. And then when that healed, I kept having symptoms. My leg was swelled up to double the size it should be. It was losing uh, two degrees of temperature consistently. It was in constant pain and it burned. Like it felt like my entire leg was on fire and um, it kept turning purple. We checked mm. for blood clots. We checked to make sure the tendons had healed. Um, it actually got to the point where they thought that maybe I had been rock, uh, walking around on a broken leg and that we didn't know it, but my leg wasn't broken. Um, so we went to a different doctor um, and they told me they looked at everything and they said well you have CRPS and basically what that means is is that my leg and my nervous system thinks that I'm chronically injured even though there's no physical injury um, so still I have pretty bad swelling my leg will turn purple it loses color and in addition to that I will have immune system issues where my immune system is basically compromised. Um, I get blinding migraines along with it. It's messed up my digestive system. So a lot of times I have extreme nausea from just eating normal, regular meals. Um, some people gain a lot of weight 
when they have CRPS. For me, since I have the nausea, I'm actually chronically underweight now because of it. Um, and the hallmark of it is the constant burning pain that it just doesn't stop. It's even there when you sleep, you'll have dreams about it. Um, but there's also all of the other fun stuff that comes along with it. All right. So what does that often mean for y'all for conventions? What things do you have to consider when preparing for convention? And we kind of talked about the spoons of it all, but we do like a little bit more focus on. Um, well, for me, because POTS means that I'm constantly getting dizzy or potentially fainting, um, I if I don't know where the convention is at, I have to like make sure the first thing I do is scope out where all the seats are or else I'm going to be sitting on the floor, basically, um, and just make sure I find the well-ventilated areas cause, so I don't get too hot, stuff like that. And then just saving up all my spoons the week before. <laughs> Try not to do that con crunch anymore. Whew. That's hard. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm a chronic <laughs> procrastinator, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> Same year. <actually. laughs> um, for me, um, pretty much just I have to know where the where the wide doors are, uh, elevators the bathrooms, uh, if I can fit in the bathroom. Um, also, just little things. Uh, hopefully, people take credit cards because fiddling with actual money, I don't have dexterity in my hands, so that might be a problem for me. Uh, people do offer to help me, but I always, I don't know, I just feel kind of strange. Not only asking like a stranger to help me with money, but just having somebody go through like my wallet, you know? Um, I think, I think that's it. Yeah. Um, and I know for me, it's like you guys said, I have to save up my spoons the week before. Um, but generally speaking with CRPS, when I go to cons, I have to have people with me um, because a pain flare can hit me literally out of the blue at any time and I will projectile vomit all over everything and nobody wants that. Um, so I usually have my group that goes with me. They make sure that nobody bumps into my leg. They make sure that I have like ample seats to stop at. Um, if there are no seats and I have to sit in the floor to rest my leg, they will help me in and out of the floor. Um, and they also help me with like design for my costumes so I don't have pressure on my leg. So basically for me, it's just making sure that I have disability access um, for lines where I don't have to stand and wait in lines and that I actually have people with me in case something happens so they can get me out of there before it gets bad. And I traumatize small children. <laughs> so you have a dedicated handler that you go with. Does everyone usually have a few people that they tap for hand like say handling is unfortunately like kind of the term that I know cosplaying right yeah i have a few people um that i can usually um just ask to hang with me the whole day to make sure i don't pass out or faint on anybody <laughs> um but uh sometimes like i'm very stubborn and i'll still go to a convention alone when i shouldn't <laughs> and then i just make sure that i sit as much as possible in that case uh, usually my uh, 
my convention sister helps me out uh, or just somebody from uh, the group that I'm cosplaying with to uh, do little things for me, um, adjust my costume buttons or tighten or tie um, or just move my backpack off of me and onto the floor or give it back. Um, just small things like that. So are there any behaviors in particular from other attendees that make you uncomfortable at conventions or online or just day to day? Um, I, I don't know that I would say it's a behavior necessarily, but I'm always like hyper aware of when people are looking at me when I have my cane, um, because I'm always scared that I'll be accused of uh, quote unquote faking it because I don't always need the cane. And since I have such an invisible illness, like it's just hard for people to tell unless I have it uh, with me. So like if I have to set my cane aside to walk over to a water fountain, because I don't want to have that extra weight on me. Um, while I go do that, I'm just scared that people would be like, oh, well, she obviously is okay. <laughs> so. I can understand that. <clears throat> um, I guess it's not really so much of a uh, way people act. I think maybe I'm hypersensitive because I feel like there is this acceptance and non-acceptance with being in a wheelchair and being around like other cosplayers. I've had a lot of conversations where I felt like I'm there, but they, that other people are just still sort of in their little clique. And I always just put it up to, well, I'm almost like, you know, four feet tall. <laughs> they could just uh, move around without me. Uh, but it, but it's kind of just in the back of my head, like, um, am I in the group? Am I not? You know, but I, maybe that's just my own little um, personal um, thing that I, that I am super aware of. And, um, and also there's these people that do come up to me and just congratulate me basically about being out and about like uh, like it's something they've never seen before. And I guess they haven't. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's a little annoying. I know it comes from a good place, but um, I, I really do find it somewhat insulting and um, it's just better to just compliment the person's cosplay and, and maybe move on. Don't say things like, it's really great you're out here. It's so inspiring. Or, hey, I, I was in a wheelchair for a week. I know exactly what you're going through. So those are some things that I, I have to put up with at conventions. People actually say that? Yep. Oh my goodness. I would yeah. say for for like me, some of the stuff that I've had to kind of deal with. Um, so the first one, like it applies to cosplay in general. Um, but for me, where I have a pain disorder, 
if somebody touches me and I'm in a flare, I could actually literally pass out uh, or I could throw up or any like number of adverse reactions. So it's like when people try to touch me without permission or like if they try to touch parts of my cosplay without permission and I'm in pain, like that's a huge no-go for me because it's, and they always think that I overreact when I'm like, hey, get off of me, don't touch me, but it could seriously injure me um, or end up getting me taken out of the con by healthcare professionals because convention staff thinks that it's a serious medical emergency when in reality, like it's a flare and I just need people to not be trying to like touch up on me. Um, So grabbing without permission, if people like my cosplay has been an issue and then back to whatever said, um, if somebody sees me limping and they're like, Oh, did you sprain your ankle or is your cosplay hard to walk in? And I say, Oh, I have a neurological disorder. A couple of people have shot back. Oh, you're so brave. And I'm like, brave? For what? Like, I'm just out in public. Everybody does that. And it's like this condescending little thing that, like, needles at you. It's not the biggest of deals, but I hate it. (laughs) Well, it gets under your skin. Yeah. It's one of those things that not everyone might know they're doing until someone, like, points it out. Which I think... I'm not saying that y'all, everyone should have to point it out and be in, in that uncomfortable position, but I think that like conversations being had should hopefully help this happen less. Oh, I certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so and I mean, I'm all for talking about uh, my disability, like I mentioned before. It's just the familiarity. It, it's a little. It's a little strange. It's just like somebody you just met and they sit down and try to talk to you about like your last breakup or, or something it's very personal so um just I, I hope people keep it in those terms if when they listen to this and understand that well no one should have to reveal anything about their personal health um to anyone unless they want to and that's like doc like doctors can't Talk about your personal, like it's illegal. Is it HIPAA? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, and I've, um, I was talking to my cousin about this because uh, she posted something about, I think one of her friends got like accosted because by a server because she wanted a straw in one of those states that had, or counties that had rules of no plastic straws and she requested one. And the server was like, well, I don't believe you need it. Tell, like, why do you need it? And just, like, went on about it. What? And that's, like, so So say someone like myself sees you in that sort of situation, sees someone in that sort of situation, how can we help without making it worse? Is there a way? Um, Go ahead. So I think for me... I default to very explosive reactions, which is never helpful <laughs> um, <laughs> because I know that when I'm in a situation and somebody looks at me and they're like, well, you're not really that sick or you don't need it. And they're getting kind of like aggressive about it. Um, I want to raise my voice and get up and get in their face and be like, well, you know what? Let me tell you a little bit about life, buddy. That's never <laughs> the helpful reaction. But I would say like, if you see somebody, being overly aggressive with somebody about what they may or may not need, maybe step in and just try to get them separated and say, Hey, 
you don't actually know what they do or don't need. Just be polite. Like, you don't have to take it to that level. Okay. Yeah, or, um, which at conventions, I've always just, I, I don't imagine that I will, but I would imagine that yeah, I would have problems with the volunteers um, and the uh, the new the security that goes up every year. Uh, I would just say get somebody that is nearby that is a different person and tell them what that person is doing and have that person help me instead. Okay, and dovetailing off that, so why don't we discuss general etiquette? I know we've touched on it here and there, but I want to make sure that everything you want to say is said on this matter. Um, Like general etiquette, I think if you see somebody, for instance, like in my case, I have a cane, um, and if I'm looking for some place to sit, um, if you don't need your seat, maybe just ask if that person would like to have a seat i i I mean it should be pretty something you do anyways but um you'd be surprised how many people will either be overly interested in helping me or just look away because my disability causes them discomfort Uh, just seeing somebody with uh, a cane is just hard for them so stuff like that um and maybe for conventions in general um teaching their staff and security i know is usually outsourced but um at a recent convention security almost tried to prop check my cane um even though (laughs) yeah even though i was wearing my ada wristband and it didn't match my outfit at all they still were like oh well they might have to prop check that i'm like oh that's cool (laughs) do they have wristbands that they hand out for people or is it this is denver con Um, this was reno which was put on by the same convent uh the same organizers as denver um they do have wristbands you have to go to the information guest services and request it and they give you it for you and your handler um and it helps out with things like lines and um wait time and everything since if i'm standing for too long i will pass out um that's generally pretty helpful (laughs) but it's not so helpful when they decide to uh, ask you a million questions and uh see if you really need it so I think it just, it just varies by convention. <laughs> yeah, here in Los Angeles, that's, for me anyway, that's a very opposite reaction of what I get. Uh, a lot of people just look me up and down and say, okay, go in. And that's all the security that I get, which kind of like <laughs> really uh, worries me sometimes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Especially at, like, Long Beach. You're just like, what even? I think at Long Beach, if it's, like, the last couple hours at the con, they just tell you to go in. They don't even care. Well, and I know um, 
sometimes, like at least at Katsu, my experience was they had the disability services line, which was helpful because I can't stand in the long lines and the Katsu like registration lines and the pre-registration lines get insane, like wrap around the building. Um, So I, you know, went to the disability services line and it was one of those things where I'm sure the lady wasn't thinking like, oh, well, this might be really offensive that I say this. But she looked at me and my boyfriend and she went, oh, so like, what, do you have just a sprained ankle or are you actually sick? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Isn't that and something I, you could like sue her over? I technically could, yes. And I just kind of like stopped for a minute and I was like, well, I have a neurological disorder that impacts my walking. So, and she like backtracked after that. But it was one of those where I was like, did you really? <laughs> oh, my goodness. So it's also like on just etiquette, don't make those statements. Right. If you see somebody hurt, just don't comment on it in general unless you know for a fact that, you know, it's something that you need more education on and you're asking like a polite question for awareness versus just being like, well, what's actually wrong with you? Like, are you faking this? Because that's not ever acceptable. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, Tone I'm, is the difference between being an asshole and being oh, an yes. person. Yes. <laughs> Would it have been better for you if they had asked just what is it you have? I'm curious. Um, if she had like said something to the effect of, because I know they have to know specifically what's going on in case there is a medical emergency so they can tell emergency responders. Yeah. So in that capacity, if she had said, hey, Uh, we need you to list out what this is and then saw it and said, Oh, Hey, you know, what is that? I've never heard of it. That would have been fine. But the fact that before that conversation was even initiated, she just looked at me and was like, so what is this? Like a sprained ankle. And I was like, Oh, oh, cringe. Go. Oh, this is how today's going to be. I think that just. (laughs) No, I was just saying, Oh, so this is how today is going to (laughs) be. Yep. (laughs) You're already setting spoons away. You're like watching spoons just fall away, like angry that you're. Just how many spoons do I have to put in to give him this chick? Uh, but I, I think uh, for the most part, um, I think if somebody comes up to me and just I'm I'm very curious about it and asks, um, that's fine. Maybe don't uh, don't draw it out. <laughs> you know, I told you what it is. Maybe go Google it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, y'all are definitely under no obligation to sit there and explain anything personal about yourself. So even if you ask politely, people don't ex- don't expect you're going to get a long discussion like we're having here with these lovely people. <laughs> I think that was safe to say, right? Oh, oh yes. Oh. <laughs> I, well, I don't know. It, it depends with me. Like, it, if you catch me on a decent day, I, I will sit there and I will tell you about all the dumb things people have said to me that are funny. Or I will just tell you, like, you know what? Google exists. Like, maybe you can just look at that name that I told you. And you're okay to say either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. I think. No, go ahead. I think some of it, too, is just like the phrasing um, 
of how they approach things because if somebody just says what is wrong with you I'm more likely to bristle at that than if they say oh hey what's going on with your leg because one implies that there's a defect with me and then the other applies implies that like oh hey something's going on there and I would like to know more that is a good point so I think Coming off that conversation, what are some things that conventions could do better for their attendees as well as for cosplayers that have disabilities? Um, I think just touching back on earlier is just, you know, training your staff appropriately. I, that does wonders for um, everything that we've been talking about, basically, just making sure that people know there's a certain way to approach uh, all of this um, really helps. <laughs> yeah, I think even if it's some people that volunteer last second, a lot of information could be put in a pamphlet that they are obligated to read. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And something else I wish uh, conventions would do is to know um, cosplay groups. Um, if they have a disabled person in the group or that group could tell the convention like, hey, we have this person in the group. Can you please not designate us all the way to the like other side of the convention because of, you know, it's hard to get there. Because uh, I've at the uh, Los Angeles Convention Center uh, specifically, there is a meetup spot that is across two lanes of traffic that um, a lot of people who go to like a cosplay meetup, they could easily get to. But I've had to miss it a few times because I literally have to go outside of the convention, down a block, cross the street, down another block, and go around to find that space. So it'd be kind of cool if like, uh, I don't know, you could petition like a convention that, hey, we need these accommodations because of these are the people in our group. Or maybe just make meetup spaces in general more accessible. Well, and I think um, too, like for me personally, for conventions like KatsuCon that do have such crowded elevators, it would be nice if they had a staff member stationed at like a designated elevator where they were like, okay, this is, you know, the accessible elevator is for people that have disability issues or like mothers with strollers to use. And it's not for the general convention goers. Um, just so we can avoid the like potential risk of being in a dangerously overcrowded elevator or not even being able to get on an elevator um, when we clearly need it. And there are times that like, people with disabilities we can't be standing and waiting on an elevator for 10 plus minutes that surprises me that katsu doesn't have a staff member uh, regulating the elevators because at nandesk con here in denver um, there is always uh, a volunteer staff member that's stationed at the elevators to make sure they don't get overcrowded um, but that convention has also had a lot of problems with us uh, kids uh youths jumping in the elevators and overcrowding them and everything oh, so God. 
<laughs> it's not an NDK if the elevator hasn't shut down once or twice on the first day. Well, I know in past years they have had a staff member at the elevators. They just don't really intervene or do anything. Oh. So <laughs> it's kind of, uh, those, I guess point? that also goes back to training them better and yeah. being like, hey, this is what you need to do. Yeah, because I know at San Diego, they're pretty vigilant about um, elevator use is only for folks that, you know, have disabilities and need to use it or the people that are with them. And then I imagine, not that I'm ever here to witness it, but I imagine the talent can use the elevators, but they have someone that's standing outside of every elevator. They have a special um, ADA access point with like where you would come in to swipe your badges. But San Diego's huge. And I... I nearly have anxiety trying to get through that um, into some of the halls and just through the halls. So I think they've learned from some mistakes and, and made dedicated entrance points and pathways probably to also avoid like lawsuits, but it has from what I've heard helped. um, But I don't know to to what degree, but it sounds like compared to some other conventions there, I would hope, being San Diego Comic-Con steps ahead. So I think this is a good way to go into talking about service animals and like the do's and the don'ts of interacting with service animals and their owners, as well as the difference between an actual service animal versus an emotional support animal, which is ESA. Um, So I actually, I have an ESA. Um, I'm sure a lot of people, if they go to my Instagram, they will see stories or posts of both of my dogs. But um, my dark brown pit bull mix, Luke Parkwalker, is my <laughs> emotional support animal. And at some point, he may get fully certified um, for service animal work. But at this point, he just is in my home, which is an emotional support animal can go into any residential space and some airlines and some stores. Um, They have very limited public access abilities, um, next to none, really. Um, Because an airline can say, hey, we don't want that dog here, even if they are an ESA. And any store can say, we don't want them in there unless they're a full-service animal. Um, So basically, with Luke, I bottle-fed him from a very early age, um, so we're super bonded. And he knows when something's wrong with my leg. And he, if I'm laying in bed and I'm sick, he just kind of gets right up by my side and he stays there. Um, He will make sure that other dogs don't bump my leg. He will make sure that people don't bump my leg if we're out in public. Um, And he also, like, if I get physically sick and I can't get myself up, he helps me up. Um, He'll help me to the bathroom. He has actually blocked me from falling before when I have hit the floor. Um, Oh, and that's, that's a little atypical. Most emotional support animals are only there for like snuggles and comfort. Um, but because I did bottle fed him and I've worked with him so much, he does a lot extra. Um, the biggest difference between him and a service animal is the public access certification, which basically means that he is certified to go anywhere in public. He can't be denied and that he would ignore other people, other dogs and food. Um, and him being a very young, very active pit bull, that is not always the case. <laughs> um, he likes to be friendly. He likes to be sociable. So he may never get to the point where I can actually public access certify him. But in the meantime, like, you know, he's he's my little home buddy. 
I love him. I take him out where I can. Um, but he is not fully public access certified, so I don't take him everywhere. And anybody with an ESA should not ever, and I mean ever, try to pass them off as a service animal because that can put other service animals in danger. It can make things difficult for service animal handlers. And it makes things difficult if you have an ESA because then people are like, oh, well, this is just a scam. You're just using this animal to get benefits and to take your pet out in public. And they don't realize, you know, the harm that they're doing by passing an ESA off as a service dog. So there is a big difference there. But at the same time, a correctly used ESA can be just as important as a service animal. I definitely think that was very well said. My understanding is that for a service animal, if you, it's, it's almost like a, like a, a working dog with the police, with the, the you know, the drug, I'm thinking, I'm blanking on, on other jobs that the dogs do that are like government related, but they're putting people at risk. Cause a lot of service animals, from my understanding, they like, can sense low blood sugar. They can sense a seizure coming on before um, even the their handler has feels any effects. So like those few, few crucial seconds or minutes are enough to get their their owner their person into a safe space. But if they're distracted, that can be very dangerous for the um, their owner for their handler. Yes, and. and- it's literally thousands and thousands of dollars of training in these animals to be a service animal. So any setback is thousands of dollars down the drain. Yeah, definitely. So a lot of times they're, they're wearing vests that say stop and do not pet. When in doubt, ask the owner. And if the owner says no, respect that answer because it can be the difference between life and death or life and a, a very serious injury for people. And I would, I would say in most cases, if you see a service animal at a convention, especially with a lot of people there and they are in their vest, that is when they are working, they are on the clock. And in a lot of cases, it's honestly better in a crowded area, just not to ask because there's already a crazy amount of distraction. And unless that dog is on break and the vest is off, it can it can, like you said, it's the difference between life and death or life and serious injury. Definitely agree. Does anyone else have any thoughts? I know you're the one with the, the mama pitbull cosplay. So you're the one with pitbulls. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's. Oh. Was that a comment coming that I missed? Uh, no, I was just going to say that I do not have a. ESA, just a little, little cat at home that I can probably pet for two hours straight. Um, but nothing to take a, take out in public with. Yeah, I, would, I think a lot of people have animals at home that could be and could fall under the responsibilities of ESA. I know my boys do, my, my cats do. Um, they definitely know when I'm sick or when I'm having a anxiety attack or like having emotional stress, all of a sudden I'm surrounded by cats and it's not feeding time. Um, but I don't try and take them out in public and, and take them to restaurants or anything. Yeah, well, I about, would... Sorry, go ahead. Oh no, you go ahead. I mean, like I said, I had a cat, I have a cat and I've actually thought about just taking it 
to a uh, photo shoot or something, but I just always get scared of it. it's going to run away or it's going to claw somebody. <laughs> I don't want that to happen. Like, not that she would. I don't think she would. She's not that kind of cat. She's really lazy, but I just don't <laughs> want anything to happen, you know? Well, I would say, too, if people see um, service animals out in public, so only mini horses and dogs can be service animals. A lot of people don't know that. Um, but if you see a service animal out in public, it doesn't matter what breed the dog is or if it's a mini horse. Um, don't bristle at the type of animal, you know? Like, because I know for me personally, people are terrified of pit bulls. Um, so they'll, you know, I get flack for that sometimes. But I would say, like, if you see a handler... The only other thing I would add is to not give them flack about the breed of their dog or if they're a service animal that is like a mini horse, not to make a big deal about it. At least not do it in a way that would be distracting to yes. that service animal. Because from afar, if I see a service animal mini pony or mini horse, I'm going to delight to my friends that are around me. And, take, and, and I won't. So there's another thing coming up, like taking pictures Oh, yeah, that's. Yeah, Don't... I was going to ask, what are your thoughts on that? Because my instinct before I like my logic kicked in and started backpedaling was, ooh, I would love to get a picture of that adorable pony, just like send to people. And then I'm like, but then you're taking a picture, you know, without consent, you're taking a picture of someone and they're working animal. Generally speaking, um, if you take a photo of a service animal on the job, you can actually get sued for that if you don't have permission. Because it's considered a leak of uh, medical privacy. And that did that recently happened. There was a mini horse on an airline that was a mobility assistant. And somebody uploaded photos of it. And they got in a massive amount of trouble. So I would say for your safety and theirs, don't do it. <laughs> I am glad I asked that question. Because I sure as hell did not know that. <laughs> yep. It makes sense pretty, though. It's a pretty major breach of privacy. Because they are... a a medical device. That's what they're legally classified as. Oh, man. If only it were so easy to tell people that taking pictures of you when you don't want the, them to be taken were just as bad. Yeah. Which is, it's the sad reality. It is just as bad to take pictures of a human without consent, but there's not really a whole lot of legal protection there and there's not a whole lot of legal right there if you're in a public space yep but you should still always ask because cosplay is not consent <laughs> i know I'm i like always ask yeah oh i know you do you're great about it i'm just like distractedly thinking about ways that like there is some inequality in the laws just because of the fact that you can call because you can put the animal under medical service device versus so me and my logic brain is going whir, whir, whir over here in a little circle. You can't see me, but I'm spinning my finger around in like a, a loop. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of Zan's tangents. Uh, so let's talk about positive things that conventions themselves have done well, like the staff, as well as other attendees um, have done to make your experience at a convention or online um, more positive. Um, I would say the, it's hard because, you know, you should 
be allowed a handler. Um, it shouldn't be considered a luxury, I don't think. But f when you have the ADA um, designation on you, whether it's a wristband or a little sticker on your thing or on your badge or whatever, um, to be able to have that person that has all the same access as you do um, is just really helpful. Um, and uh, for Denver Pop Culture Con, and I'm assuming Reno Pop Culture Con also, since they're owned by the same uh, people, um, your handler gets fitted with the same, now it's a wristband, um, as you do. So if you have like an invisible illness and you're not using a mobility device, uh, it's anyone's guess which one of you is actually the person with a disability. <laughs> um, which shouldn't comfort me, but it kind of does a little bit. Um, I, other than like that, safety like, in numbers. Right, exactly. Like not being singled out as much. Um, so... I don't, I don't know where I was going from there. <laughs> but, I'm sorry I interrupted you. <laughs> no, 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 you're fine. I think that was just my main point as far as my notes have it. So. <laughs> yeah, and as uh, far as positives go, um, I think it's WonderCon that has a, um, a table for people to check in for disabled people. Uh, cosplayers, just guests to check in and instead of waiting in the really long lines uh, there would there would be somebody from that table like an advocate that goes to get your ticket and uh, just brings it back to you. So you just kind of wait there and chill out for like 10 minutes. Oh that's nice. Yeah. That is nice. Where is that located for WonderCon? It's um, I think it's right when you get in uh, the main hall um, entrance entrance B or entrance. Is it C. the one right by the the water fountain? The big water fountain. Inside, yeah. Okay, so you get oh that's nice. You get to go into the main entrance. You don't have to go like two halls down to get mm -hmm. to the, where the ticketing is. For those who haven't been to the Anaheim Convention Center or WonderCon, that's that's pretty awesome that you don't have to like try and navigate through a bunch of cosplayers and people taking pictures and people walking with their while looking at their phone and that's nice. We're sitting in the line with in the sun. Which in the you... sun because during the day that gets pretty bad sun there. Yeah. Way to go, WonderCon! Props on you. I'm, I'm gonna make a show note on that one. And for and for Denver and Reno, because that's awesome too. I'm making notes. <laughs> um, as far as I can remember, I, I don't drive, so I'm not sure about the parking situation. Um, but well, yeah, WonderCon is like my favorite, along with um, whatever they want to call it, LA Comic Con, Comic Cosby, <laughs> Stanley Stanley's. Comic -Con. <laughs> um, I think it's LACC now. Sorry. Okay. I got it. I would say I think something that KatsuCon particularly does well is when you go to the disability services line um, and you get your badge um, so you can skip the regular lines, they do have you fill out a little, it's a folded over like orange note card um, where you write 
what your condition is called, what current medications you're on, and if there are any, um, like, things that you're allergic to that you can't take from a medication standpoint. And it's, like, folded in half so nobody could see it, and they laminate it. So if anything were to happen, emergency services can cut it open and give um, first responders the details about what's going on and what the incident is and what to not do for you. Uh, That's which amazing. For, That's yeah, awesome. With, with all of my like medication allergies that we've discovered through treating my illness, it's really comforting to know that if I were to go down at a convention, if it were Katsu they would know not to give me things that could potentially kill me. <laughs> yeah, that knocks the anxiety down a couple of notches, I imagine, not having to worry about that on top of everything else. Mm-hmm. All right. So, hmm, how would you recommend any person approach cosplaying a canon-disabled character whether or not they're disabled or able-bodied. Because this can be a very tricky subject, and I've seen people do it very disrespectfully. I think if somebody's determined to go down that path, as long as they aren't taking advantage of the ADA services provided by the convention, um, I would feel more comfortable with that but it's uh it's a hard one (laughs) a lot of people have a lot of different opinions i believe yeah i i have a few instances i want to talk about so um there is a character from avatar the last airbender uh that is blind And a lot of people, when uh, they're cosplaying that, tend to make the quote-unquote blind face. This is what I call it. Uh, And I kind of feel that's really a little bit bit, uh, insulting. Unless you're like a great actor and know what a real blind person, um, you know, goes through or something, is don't make faces. Don't try to, like, don't make the the deaf voice, quote-unquote. Yeah. Wow, people do that? blind face. Uh, If you have have crutches, you know, just, you can walk, just just pose with them. You don't have to walk like your leg is um, actually, like, broken or something. Right. If you're in a wheelchair, if you bring a wheelchair... A lot of times it's really easy to spot because a cosplayer, uh, somebody who's not disabled but has a wheelchair, usually has the kind of wheelchair that you can get from like a hospital um, or or a medical supply place or the kind you see at Walgreens. Mm -hmm. So usually if it's that kind of wheelchair, you know, most likely, maybe. a person in a cosplay that doesn't actually need it. Um, but there has been recently somebody from, um, I think it was D23. They did a whole group uh, because uh, they were doing Disney princesses as elderly people. 
Oh, the so, geriatric Disney princesses group, right? Yeah, they and then they decided to uh, have like a few of them in in Walker. I mean, in wheelchairs and walkers. And I know it uh, it kind of split people. Like some people thought it was a good idea. Uh, some people uh, just you know took it for what it was. It was just cosplay. Uh, just some and others really got offended by it. Um, I even had somebody come up to me, a friend of mine, um, they felt like they had to apologize to me because their friend was in that group. And that was actually more strange for me than actually seeing the pictures of the people in the cosplay group. Because uh, I wasn't there. It didn't really affect me in any way. And I feel like if they do get backlash, they'll, they'll learn. Or they won't. Um, and I think, too, like, I've seen a few people that cosplay um, Professor X that don't need a wheelchair. Um, and for me, when they approach it from a standpoint of that, they're very clear that the wheelchair is there for appearances and for photos. I'm not as bothered by it um, because I understand a lot of people want to be canon accurate to their characters. Right. But I also, I don't like, you know, when I have seen people take advantage of disability services and clog things up when they don't actually need it. Um, and, you know, I, I would caution people that if you don't need a wheelchair, if you don't need crutches, if it's a bigger con, you know, just take those items, you know, through the normal check line. Don't try to you know, cut through lines, don't try to use disability services, and don't try to pass it off that you're not able-bodied if you are. And I would also encourage guests to not make assumptions. If you see a cosplayer in a wheelchair, uh, don't assume that they're faking. Don't assume that they don't really need it. And also, at the same time, don't assume that people in wheelchairs are you know, without help and that they need you to swoop in if you don't know. Um, so I would just say it really boils down to being cautious when you're able-bodied and you choose to disable, like to cosplay a disabled play, uh, cosplay character. Yeah. Adding to that, I, about the swooping in, uh, and helping them out with something, uh, always just ask first. That's all. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sorry, this is a very awkward transition because my mind's like, this is such a good conversation. And it's just like making me think about a bunch of um, really good topics. Uh, but so are there other things that you have to consider when choosing your cosplays? I know you mentioned here and there a few uh, choices, like I imagine with like armor, uh, Mary for yours, like leg bracers out probably the window or very, you have to be very careful about them, etc. I've learned that I have to really watch if there's anything that has to be held together by elastic and it touches my leg because that squeezes. Um, typically for me, Velcro or zippers are the best bet. Like I just kind of have to plan my design around what I need to close the, you know, cosplay pieces around my leg. Um, that's part of the reason that like, I cosplay as Daenerys and All Might so much because dresses and then 
the leggings that I have don't squeeze onto my leg and it's much more comfortable for me. Um, for me, I have to make sure that whatever I'm wearing is kind of breathable, um, that it's not too heavy and won't make me overheat. Um, and then not too heavy also in the sense of actual weight of it so that I'm not feeling like I'm carrying around a, a 10 pound cost, 20 pound cosplay on me all day. Um, and then I have to be mindful of props. Um, if the prop, um, I'm using can double as my cane excellent but if it gets in the way of my mobility device or if the cosplay itself will get in the way of my mobility device then I just have to reconsider how I make it or just nix it altogether. I'm still pretty new um, so I haven't really learned everything. Uh, I haven't tried to do any weapons or um or anything i just have my helmet and my suit i usually just kind of have to keep in mind uh not to be at the convention all day because i do get um circulation problems with my legs uh just just i start having pains and uh really want to take off my shoes just that kind of feeling. Definitely. So dovetailing off that in regards to like construction, do you have any dream cosplays that you would like to do and that are feasible and some that you would like to do, but aren't feasible for various reasons? Um, I mean, I have a huge list of dream cosplays. <laughs> um, I I want to make all of Anna's outfits from every short and all of the different variables she has in the movies. Um, and as far as fabulous wardrobes go, uh, Padme's from Star Wars. But, you know, some of those definitely aren't going to be able to happen because they're too heavy or too warm. Um <laughs> So maybe, and I'm, I'm trying to work on Sugar Plum Fairy from that questionably okay Disney movie last year. Is that the Nutcracker? Uh, the Nutcracker, yeah. Okay, <laughs> I, I fell in love it, with that design. It's, it's, it's a movie. <laughs> <laughs> the costumes, but the costumes gorgeous, though. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like slowly gathering all of what I need for that, but then because she has so much weight in her ruffles and everything like that's another thing that i have to i want to make the fullness of it but i can't be dragging around uh, 10 pounds of chiffon on me all day or organza or whatever so lots of hopes and dreams but we'll, well see if you ever need me to carry all your ruffles <laughs> so that you can wear that dress <laughs> I might need to plan a trip to Denver. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't say no. Only if she wears something just as cumbersome. No. <laughs> it just ruins, the, it negates my help. <laughs> no, you can be a toy soldier. It's great. <laughs> there just, you go. <laughs> It'll be like the the Nutcracker version of a stormtrooper. That won't encumber oh me at God. all. 
But it'll be uh, armor in case anyone comes near your dress. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I'm joking, but I would totally do all of this. <laughs> oh, wow. Just, just do a Gaston version of the Rat King. <laughs> Feasible. <laughs> um, so, yeah, personally, I actually have a lot of, like, um, dream cosplays. I don't think I'm going to realistically get to it anytime soon uh because um i want to be like a vehicle <laughs> from from like uh from like back to the future i'd like to be the delorean maybe have some like some sort of dry ice or something where the steam comes out when i open like um a fake door that i'm gonna, that i hope i'm gonna make Ooh. um and uh, i wanted to dress like uh the ra- radiation Marty, where he has the radiation suit on. <laughs> nice. But something that I I'm hoping to work on, or with somebody, and uh, able to do hopefully next year, um, is a is a version of uh, Peter Parker Spider Man from the 1960s. Ooh, I'll be watching for that for sure. That sounds fun. Yeah. Um, I would say for me, I haven't come across something that I wanted to do that I felt like I couldn't. Um, most of mine is just really thinking through the design to make sure stuff isn't squeezing down on my leg. Um, and that it's not squeezing like on my head because that can trigger the migraine, which can trigger a flare. Um, so I just have to kind of be careful about how I plan and wear my cosplays and not wear things that have heels. But other than that, like, I, I haven't felt that I've been really restricted in doing any cosplays that I wanted. Yeah, Danny definitely has a long, like, a large wardrobe, a very flowy, very open and movable. I love her costumes. I just. Oh, yes. I could go on and so on much. about them. <laughs> like, it just, it really helps that I happen to like characters that aren't wearing such crazy things like the most armored thing i wear is my mandalorian and we were able to design that in a way that it doesn't cause me extra pain so that's awesome i'll have to talk to you like in detail about like because from the engineer in me is just like ooh, how did you do that that sounds really cool and i love just people that are able to adapt designs adapt patterns to fit if their body type's different if they have constraints that they're like it's because it's it's pretty much a design problem and not, not problem is a negative, but you have all these designs constraints and you're finding a solution. So you're working through it to find a solution. Um, and I just think of it like a math problem or a design problem and because I'm an engineer. Hmm. But it must be really satisfying when you like get through. Because every time someone works on a project, there's there's issues that happen. <laughs> At least for me. <laughs> I think Run that's into a part stuff of cosplay. Yeah. So there's that satisfaction in getting past a hurdle you did, might not have thought you were able to do design-wise. Yeah. The trial well, and it, process is always the first that get, really gets your nerves going. And it helps, too, that, like, uh, Canary Cry Cosplay, my roommate, she is such a good foam smith, and she likes to think through ways to design things so they work and they don't cause issues. So when I'm like, oh, hey, my leg can't deal with this, she can pr- 
pretty quickly be like, oh, okay, well, we can do this then. That's awesome. It's true value, true value and true friends right there. <laughs> Stuff I love about the cosplay community too. All right. Yeah. Is there anything else that anyone would like to add that I missed that we didn't talk enough about? Just on your mind. I just wanted to say quickly that you're completely right about the community. Um, I don't think I'd have come as far trying to cosplay if it wasn't for the people that I ended up meeting. Um, even though I've always wanted to, I just was always shy or just really didn't know how to make a helmet. <laughs> and also just, just needed help, just finding pieces of the of, of suit uh, that I was being picky about. So just, yeah, I really enjoyed uh, being in the cosplay community in a different way other than just uh, taking photography. So anyone else? I'm going to take that as a <laughs> not right now or... What? <laughs> I don't think I have anything else to say, but <laughs> yeah, I think I'm all good. Awesome. So my last thing is how can our listeners support you? Um, I would dovetail that with, which I've been saying a lot lately, sorry, um, with um, how can people learn more about uh, like CRPS, uh, POTS, and I cannot pronounce what you said ever. I'm going to admit it right there. <laughs> but like support you through cosplay and beyond. It's uh, Charcot Marie Tooth. Okay. Um, it's literally three doctors that came up with it. So um, oh. uh, I guess for me uh, specifically, uh, it would be to, if you could, uh, help donate to the uh, Muscular Dystrophy Association. They do a lot of um, uh, great things, for, especially for children with the disease. Uh, they send them on trips for summer like a whole week of summer camp uh and also um they send them on ski trips to big bear in the winter uh so they have a whole lot of fun and uh, it also helps fund the research for um the nerve and muscle diseases in in those categories um if and if you see me at a con just really say hello if you know me uh or if you from this you look me up on Instagram, which is a chaotic guy, by the way, it's a K-A-O-T-I-C. And um, like I said, I'd be willing to chat with you. I'm pretty personable, I like to think anyway. Um, I would say as far as CRPS goes and supporting people that have to live with that and supporting uh, me as a person who lives with it, it's actually November is CRPS Awareness Month. Um, so if you search the hashtag CRPS Awareness, you're going to get a lot of information that will come up. Um, and if you are on my Instagram, um, you can look at my stories. I've been posting facts and I'm always up for discussion and talking to people. Um, if you wanted to support CRPS research, through monetary means, there is rsda.org. 
they do a lot of CRPS research. Uh, they're one of the leading groups that does it. And they're trying to make strides in getting affordable treatment to people like me into finding a cure since there currently is no cure or FDA-approved treatment for us. And as far as supporting um, people with POTS, uh, there is a donation you can make to Standing Up to POTS. Um, that is the website also. Or any dysautonomia um, charity. Um, it's still a rather young um, diagnosis that there really isn't very much information on it. So everything is going towards um, figuring out how to diagnose more effectively and how to uh, treat individuals with this, um, with this illness. Um, as far as supporting me specifically, I just ask that you uh, follow me on Instagram at Swankified Cosplay. And um, I'm always, like they have said, I'm always down to chat. Just send me a little DM and we can talk about things if you're curious. So. Well, thank you so much. I, despite technical difficulties, I had a great, great time that I learned. I definitely learned um, a lot. So hopefully we'll keep the discussion going. Hopefully I wasn't too awkward. Now you're great. <laughs> More so than usual. <laughs> so, thank you again. Bye, y'all. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Cause Life Hack podcast on Temple of Geek. If you want to check out some of our other shows, head over to templeofgeek.com, where you can find all sorts of things that pertain to the world of geek. As always, we want you to join in today's conversation, so please engage us with your comments and with your experiences. And don't forget to follow Cause Life Hack on Instagram as well for additional content.